Thank you, Lord, for the beauty of those words of that song, that it really is possible for us to surrender everything into your hands, that everything can be all for you. God, what does that look like in each of our lives? As you examine each one of us on this, this day as we've come together to gather in your name, as I release the children through grade four, Lord, I pray for them as well. I pray as they leave the room now, Lord, to those who have prepared to teach them, I pray, Lord, that, uh, that they would be impacted by the truth early on, that as they're able to allow themselves to be owned by the truth, that everything is for you, their life will go so much differently. For each of those teachers who prepared, we pray a blessing on them as well. And for us, Lord, now as we look at your word, your word is life, you tell us. You tell us it's a, it's a scalpel that does surgery on us. And I pray that it would happen today, that each one of our lives would be touched by the power of having been with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is so good to be with you this morning and to be able to have this privilege of opening God's word for you on this blessed Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers. It's great to have you here. And the Skibas have a rose here because she is now the new mother of a new boy. And that's always exciting when we see that and see new life coming into the world. Amen. And I understand and know that a lot of times Mother's Day is it's a lot different today than it has been in the past. The messages that are preached are different than they were even 15 or 20 years ago because the family unit is much different than the family used to be, isn't it? And we need to be mindful of that and all the emotions that Mother's Day can bring. As I thought about that and I thought about a, a message that could, could impact our lives, all of our lives as it relates to Mother's Day, I, I came to Psalm 131, which is where we'll be today. Psalm 131. And we're going to take a look at this and, and see just exactly what this can mean for us today. And it's an amazing psalm. Psalm 131 is, is one of the psalms of ascents. Now, you may not know exactly what that is, but... There are 15 different psalms or songs of ascents, and they're Psalm 120 through 134. Each one of them is a psalm of ascent, and there's 15 of them, and, and it's thought that what happened is there's 15 steps leading into the temple of God. And so the Israelites, as they were headed into the temple of God, as they came to one step, they'd recite one psalm, and then they'd take the next step up, and recite the next one, Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the, the maker of heaven and earth. And each one of those psalms and each one of those steps would have been memorized. And they would have said one on each one of the steps. But they were also songs that were sung with great anticipation as the Israelites made their way towards Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem sits on a hill. And so you would go up into Jerusalem and Today, as I was coming into the church, I, I parked way down at the end there, and, and it's, a, it's an uphill climb into the church, and, and it's an ascent to come to church on Sunday morning, and it's just a really blessed time to come through and begin to think, what would happen if we had psalms or songs that we sung on the way into the church, and so to prepare our heart as we come, because that's what each one of these psalms would do, would be to prepare your heart more and more and more 
and more to step into and encounter the presence of God. Have you prepared your heart for that today? To step into and encounter the presence of God. Psalm 131. David says this, My heart is not proud, O Lord, and my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. An amazing psalm and an amazing truth that we're going to take a look at here. The big idea for today is that humility can bring quietness to your soul. Now, as I look at Mother's Day, I look at Mother's Day as a grandfather because that's the season of life that I'm in. And I look back over my life and I think of all the different seasons I've been in and all the different ways that I've taken a look at Mother's Day. Have you found that to be true in your life? And, and as I look at this as a, as a grandfather, still a son, and still blessed to have my mom here and, and to be able to have time with her as well, and to be a, a husband and have, have been blessed by the mother of my kids, and then to have a daughter-in-law step into our family and she gets to be used as a sermon illustration. She never thought she'd be getting to use that. So, and, and she stepped in, and isn't that wonderful? In April, you're glad Dad's gone, right? Yeah? Um, but it's, it's really really special. And my youngest granddaughter, Georgia, is almost two. And, and this, this psalm, as I was in the, in the Smokies last week and, and just spent time with this psalm, this psalm then and, and this week, I've just considered what it means for a weaned child to be still with its mother. And I think of little Georgia, and, and so many times when, when uh, Brooke and Charlie are over with the grandkids and Georgia will reach that moment in the afternoon when it's time for her to go to sleep. And, and I'll always want to be the one who puts her to sleep so, you know, so I can take her and put her to sleep. But she doesn't rest in my arms. She, you know, when I take her, she squirms all over and she's restless and she can't be still. But she'll go to Brooke and the next thing you know, you turn around, she's sound asleep. She's quieted and stilled in Brooke's arms like a quiet soul. And then we play the trick on her that you play, the, that you play on all little babies. She gives her to me. <laughs> and I get to hold her as she sleeps. I have, I've often thought of that, you know. Little babies, they, they go to sleep one place and they wake up someplace completely different. It's like, what? Who? Hey, this wasn't, what, is this what, where was I? You know, can you imagine every time you went to sleep and you woke up somewhere else? It's like, hmm. But, but then I get the advantage and the blessing of having Georgia on my chest. Still, quiet, little heartbeats. It's a special time. Is it possible that we could each have that type of quietness and stillness in the very soul of who we are? I don't know each one of you. And I don't know each one of your situations. But my guess is that there may be some things in your soul that cause it to not be quiet and not be still. It could be some strained relationships, some financial issues, some, some business problems. Some, it could be one of a hundred things. Cars broken and no way to repair it. Whatever it is, whatever those things are in your life, 
that keep you from experiencing a quietness and a stillness. Is it possible? Is it possible that we could each be that calm? Well, David says it is, so why don't we take a look at what he has to say and see if it can impact our lives. Humility brings quietness to our soul. And the first thing that we're going to see is that humility detaches you from you. (laughs) Could I say it that way? Humility detaches you from you. And there are so many times I need to be detached from me. You know what I mean by that? It's really easy for me to forget that the universe doesn't rotate around me. Because I'm so important, aren't I? Wasn't that funny, Shirley? (laughs) Sigmund Freud talked a little bit about this, and you remember in the 20s he came up with that whole ego thing, and ego being self-awareness, and and ego is Latin for I. Okay, and and as I thought about that, I I, I was reading a, a book on leadership by Ken Blanchard, and he talks about a couple of acronyms that you can use for that for that word ego. And the first one is edging God out. Ego, edging God out. Oh, now that's a, that's a proud heart. The second one is exalting God only. That's a humble heart. Now we look at this psalm and when it starts out, David says here, my heart is not proud, O Lord. My heart is not proud. I find that fascinating that David's able to say that. I don't know about you, but I think that humility is this very interesting thing. Is, is you're not saying, if you're saying I'm not proud, then what you're saying is I'm humble. And it seems pretty ironic to me that, that David would say I'm not proud because what that means is, Terry, I, I'm a really humble guy. Does that sound like a humble statement? I mean, isn't the minute you say you're humble, isn't that a prideful statement? And, and aren't you at that moment in time proud? So how is, how is David able to come along and say, my heart is not proud? Fascinating to me, and my eyes are not haughty, he says. So I thought, well, maybe we should see some things about, about proud hearts and haughty eyes. So let's look over at Proverbs, because Proverbs are these great little, little words of wisdom that can impact our lives, and, and they can help move us into a right standing with God. And so I looked at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5, and it says there, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Hmm. Well, that seems, that seems a little forceful, doesn't it? The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Now, I don't know about you, but the tendency I have when I come up to a verse like that is to think of people who need to read it. Huh. Because I can't believe that God would really detest all the proud of heart. That's pretty harsh verse. Well, fortunately, there's a lot of verses in Scripture, so maybe we'll work on that one later. Let's go to Proverbs 6, because, I don't know, sometimes when verses get too hard, you just bypass them. Yeah? Nervous laughter fills the room. Okay, so how about if we look at Proverbs 6, and we look at verse 16, 
And, and here we, we have this, this great statement that says there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. This isn't getting better, is it? And the first one there is haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. It's hard for us to own the truth of the fact that a proud heart and haughty eyes are detestable to God. See, God opposes the proud. If I'm, if I'm in any way, shape, or form in a proud position or pride position, I am placing myself in opposition to God. I, I, am, I am placing my actions to be actions that he detests. Is that, is that true? Yeah. So when David says, my heart is not proud and my eyes are not haughty. Eh, haughty. Is that a word you used this week? Anybody use that word this week? That's a word we don't use very often, haughty eyes. C.S. Lewis has a great quote here that kind of helps us get an idea of what haughty eyes means. He says, proud people are always looking down on people and things. You know, I'm going to come down here and say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it feels better to use that quote from down here if you know what I mean. Proud people are always looking down on people and things. And of course, when you're looking down, you can't see what's above you. Ooh, powerful quote, isn't it? That's what haughty eyes are. Now, it's interesting, as David says, my heart is not proud and my eyes are not haughty. Right in between there, it says, O Lord. O Lord. See, David had come to a point where the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want the Lord. And so David was able to say, my heart isn't proud because I know who God is. God is my Lord. Is Jesus, is God your Lord? The first step towards being able to say that your heart isn't proud is to recognize that God is the Lord and to place him in lordship in your life. David goes on to say, I, I have not concerned myself about matters that are too wonderful for me. Great matters. I wonder what, what is it that you concern yourself with? What are the things in your life that you concern yourself with? What are the thoughts that go on in your mind? You know, what are all those great matters that consume your thought process? Typically, they're the things that, that are the problem areas of your life. And, and you think about how you need to be able to fix the things that need to be fixed in your life or in the people that you know or whatever that could be. And, and you need to be able to take control of things. And, and I wonder if you could take, just take your, your, your note sheet there and off on the bottom there, start a list there. And I'd like you to begin to just write down all of the things in your life that you are completely in control of. Go ahead, jot them down. I'll, I'll wait a minute. Now, why don't you start another list of all the things you act like you're in complete control of? That list gets a little longer, doesn't it? See, because those are the things, those are the concerns that, that can begin to take over us. And they, they can become the concerns that are, are unbelievably... Uh, overwhelming in our lives. And so we begin to get really concerned about the things that we can't control instead of concerning ourselves with the one who can control every single thing because God is sovereign. 
He's over everything. And do you know that he's working all things together for his good? So we, 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 we know that verse, and we use that verse, and we use that verse as a, as a point of encouragement, as we well should. But do we live the truth of that verse? That God is working to bring all things together for his good. Do we trust him with that? If, if that's true, then that means God is concerned about everything that's happening in your life. Do you believe that's true? And I'm sure that he greatly appreciates when we add our concern to his. We never get in his way, do we? When we begin to think of how these things should be solved. And isn't it true that a lot of times when you concern yourself about those things that you really have no control about, and I'm talking about inappropriate concern here, okay? I'm not talking about the fact that I don't need to be concerned about how I'll eat. I'll just sit back and, you know, watch TV and wait for the food. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being overly concerned with these things, these matters that are too great for us, the things that we don't have control of. Have you noticed it to be true that in and of yourself, you're very concerned with your needs? I found that to be so true. I'm so concerned about my needs in and of myself. And if my needs aren't getting met, then more than likely it's because there's something wrong with your character. Right? Do you catch that? Okay? Especially in our relationships. Okay? It's so easy for me to get to a point where I have a set of needs and, and I can come to Karen and, and I have this set of needs and my needs aren't getting met. And it's because you have a problem. <laughs> we act like that though, don't we? Do you know God's design, God's design is that in humility we consider others' needs above ourselves. Now, what does that mean? See, what that means is I come and I'm concerned about Karen's needs and what in my character is keeping her needs from being met. That's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? That's a whole different ballgame because you understand that Jesus has been placed inside. If you come to trust Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit has been placed inside of you and the reason is so that Jesus can meet the needs of the world through you. And if there's anything in your character that keeps that from happening, you have a proud heart. If somebody comes up to me and says something that's very hurtful, has that ever happened to you? Okay, now, what's my first response? Is my first response when someone comes up to me and says something hurtful to think of, oh, I didn't deserve that. That's not right. I didn't. Or is my first response... That person's hurting. How can Jesus meet that person's needs through me? Wow. Is that possible? It is if you have put a proud heart out of your life. Because all of a sudden, it's not about you, and you're not the center of things that are happening. It detaches you from you. So the situations you face, you've heard me say this before perhaps, What happens to me is less important than how I handle what happens to me. Because that wonderful promise of Jesus that in this world I'm going to have trouble. 
So there are things that are going to come into our lives. How am I prepared to handle them? Is it with a proud heart? So this idea of edging God out or exalting God only. A proud heart edges God out. A humble heart exalts God only. There's a beautiful verse in in Galatians that I think speaks to this so clearly. Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now think of that in terms of ego. I, edging God out, have been crucified with Christ so that I, edging God out, no longer live. The life I live, exalting God only. I, exalting God only, live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, it's that, it's that difference in your life. You might say, I don't know how to determine if I have a proud heart or not. Could I ask you to think about the question here? What are the thoughts that concern you? What are the thoughts that concern you? What are the things that occupy your mind? And if most of the things that occupy your mind are you, then chances are you have a proud heart. You could ask yourself another question. What, what matters when you're no longer of concern with yourself? If you're able to put yourself that edging God out aside, what begins to matter? I have a, a bookmark that I've handed out before, and they're at the Welcome Center if you've never gotten one. It talks about the difference between proud people and broken people. Proud people have to prove they're right. Broken people are willing to yield the right to be right. Proud people desire to be served. Broken people are motivated to serve others. Proud people feel confident in how much they know. Humble people are humbled by how much more they have to learn. Proud people tend to deal in generalities when confessing sin, whereas broken people are able to acknowledge specifics when, when confessing their sin. Proud people have a hard time saying, I was wrong, will you please forgive me? Broken people are quick to admit failure, and they seek forgiveness when necessary. Proud people want to be sure that no one finds out when they've sinned. Their instinct is to cover it up whereas broken people don't care who knows or finds out. They are willing to be exposed because they have nothing to lose. Proud people don't think they need revival, but they're sure everyone else does. Broken people continually sense their need for a fresh encounter with God. Are you able to say that you don't have a proud heart? It's a bold statement by David, I believe, but I believe because he was so confident of who the Lord was and who the Lord was in his life that he was able to make the statement, I don't have a proud heart. Oh, there's times I do proud things, but my heart isn't proud. The second thing we need to see if we're going to learn that humility can quiet our soul is this truth that humility is a choice. It's a choice that you need to make. But I have stilled and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I have made the choice, David said. 
I could be proud. I could be concerned about all these things. I could let all these things stir up in my life. But I have made the choice to quiet and still my soul before God and in his presence. Humility is a choice that we each need to make. You cannot stand in willful defiance to God and expect to have peace in your life. That's not going to work. You can't stand in, in pride and arrogance with haughty eyes and expect to have a quiet and still soul because God opposes the proud. Do you see that, that if, you, if you have pride in your life, you place yourself in opposition to God? Really? Yeah. Think about that. How many times are the choices that you make in your life placing yourself in opposition to God? And think about how really, when you put that on paper, is there any way that that could work well for you? How many times in my life do I do that? Place myself in opposition to God. But I can choose instead to trust God to exalt him only, and in humility to give him control of my life, to organize my life around him as opposed to organizing my life around me. And the difference is amazing. Because it says here that while God opposes the proud, he also gives grace to the humble, that thing that we don't deserve, the quietness and stillness of the soul, because quite frankly, I do not deserve to have a quietness and stillness in my soul. Yet he gives that to us as we come to him humbly. A calmness, a quietness. It's a satisfaction. And the truth is, you cannot borrow this from somebody else. Okay, it's not like you can be around someone who has a quiet, still soul and say, wow, that's really cool, I think I'll borrow that. <laughs> you know, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't do that. You have to choose it for yourself. And it's interesting, the contrast between the two. Have you ever been around somebody who when something comes up and it's this real little thing, they get all worked up and their hands start shaking and it's like, you know, and then their face gets red and, and they're like, oh, I can't handle this. You know, it's a three-second wait at Walmart. What am I going to do? You know? Sorry, Terry. <laughs> And then there's the other people who have this amazing catastrophe that comes in their life and there's a calmness, a stillness, a quietness that's there. Have you been around people who handle things both those ways? Which one is a, which one is, is a better situation for you? How many times do you get sucked into the, into the nervousness of another person? And how many times are you soothed by the, by the heart of a person who has been quieted and stilled before the Lord? And don't you long to have that? You know, I think of the time that Jesus was in the boat and the storm was all over the sea. Because the truth is, you're going to have storms in your life. If you're not in a storm now and you've never been in a storm, guess what? One's coming, okay? It's the promise of God. You will have trouble in this world. And you shouldn't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. You will experience trouble. But the amazing thing about Jesus, in that particular story, 
was he was sleeping in the boat during the storm. Do you think that you could find rest and quiet in him in the storm of your life right now? Is it possible? Doesn't mean the storm will go away. It means that rather than concerning yourself with a solution, you concern yourself with his solution for that situation. It brings joy in the midst of the storm. It's a choice. It's a choice to come to a point where you're able to say that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Not Jesus and. Jesus is enough. Not Jesus and a restored relationship. Not Jesus and the house not being foreclosed. Not Jesus and a better job. Not Jesus and a new car. Not Jesus and. Jesus is enough. Jesus all for Jesus. All I am and all I ever hoped to be. Coming to that point quiets and calms and stills your soul. Satisfied. The other thing I thought of when it comes to weaned children, weaned children do not whine. You ever notice that? Like, once they're there and they're resting and they're calm, they don't whine. They just, like, rest. And it's so true for each one of us, too. You know, what happens is we, we take these little babies and, and we put all this stuff inside them, all this food inside of them, and then we wait for three-quarters of it to come back out, and then they rest. <laughs> right? And it's ack. You know, you know, just wait, Chris. It's coming, man. It'll be all over your shirt, little stain spots, and you carry around those little towels, they do no good. <laughs> you see that it's like that with us? We have a lot of information and things that we've taken into our lives. And most of those things have told us that we deserve a break today. Yeah. We're entitled to these things. We should have these things. These things belong to us. And if we're not getting those things in some way, we're being shorted in it. And there's everything in the world is designed to help me feel good about me by what I can get from whatever you have. Okay? Weaning is getting that out of yourself. Spitting it up, getting it out, so that's all that's left in there is a total dependence on God. Is there anything that's kept you from making the choice to still and quiet your soul? Do you need a little more burping? (laughs) Get that stuff out of you so that you could be stilled and quieted? Because humility brings quietness of soul, and finally we're going to see that humility seeks the best for others. I love that. Humility seeks the best for others, and you see that that's capitalized because the best for others is God. Listen, I've got nothing in myself that will help you with anything you're experiencing, but I've got Jesus, and he can help you. And my desire is the best for every person, that each person could experience that. And I think that's what David says here. He says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. 
Now, I don't know about you, but those are the kind of verses that, that get really easy to just skip over. You know? Oh, Israel. Well, we're not Israel. Not applicable. And, and put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Okay. What if we take a minute and really think about that verse? Oh, Lord. I'm sorry. Oh, Israel. Put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Could I ask you, what's your hope in? What are you placing your hope in right now? In what have you placed your hope? Again, it becomes a question of this pride thing. Can you put your hope in the Lord? There's probably people here who, who could struggle with that. Things have happened in your life that you're like, boy, I'm not so sure a loving God would do that. Maybe somebody's angry with God because of something that's happened in your life. Maybe there's something that's happened in your past that has caused you to believe that putting your hope in the Lord isn't something that would be plan A. Some hurt, some pain. Maybe you're doing so well that you don't need to have the Lord involved in your life. Maybe you're supplying everything you need just fine, and you're here because mom made you come. That can happen too. Is it possible? Is it possible that this last verse is the crux of everything that needs to happen? First Peter chapter 3 says that we should each be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Do you have the hope of the Lord within you? And are you ready to give a reason for that hope when somebody comes up to you and says, you are so filled with hope? I know. I have a humble heart. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you see, that's what it is. That's what it is. Because the only thing that can bring hope in the Lord into your life is if you remove the hope that you place in yourself and your solution and your situation. Deny yourself. Now, am I so excited about the world being able to understand this hope that I have? Am I able to say, oh neighbor, put your hope in the Lord, now and forevermore. Oh, Walworth County. There's empty seats in here. There were empty seats last time, too. How many people do you bump into every day who have not known what it means to place their hope in the Lord? Do you long for them to do that? I'm blown away by, I'm absolutely blown away when I read Romans chapter 9. And Paul says, I have such a desire and a passion for, for my friends to come to know Christ, that I would trade my salvation. I would trade my salvation if they could come to know Christ. Really? Am I that concerned about the people who don't have hope? Do I have hope in the Lord? Is that where my trust is? Is that where my hope is found? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So, put your hope in the Lord. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. But I need to ask, what is your hope in? What I love about this is when you really think about this psalm and and they're reading it and they're on their steps and they've been moving up and they're ascending to the temple and they come to Psalm 131. And I wonder if when David read this, it was like, Lord, my heart's not proud. I'm amazed by the fact that my heart isn't proud and that my eyes aren't haughty and I've been able to release the concern of these things that I can't handle to you. It's causing my heart to be stilled and quieted. All of my hope is in you. Oh, Israel, you've got to experience this for yourselves. You've got to, oh, you've got to have this. Is that how you are with the peace and the quietness and the stillness of God that fills your soul? Are you so overwhelmed by the presence of God within you that all you can think about is how everybody else you meet could have it? That's what this means. But the truth is, the church of America lives in hopelessness. They don't live filled with hope. And the world looks on and says, if that's what hope in the Lord is, I'm not so sure it's that much different than what I have right now. So I need to ask, have you put your hope in the Lord now and forevermore? Single mom, Is your hope in the Lord? Family with strained relationships, is your hope in the Lord? Couple losing a home, is your hope in the Lord? Businessman who's very successful, is your hope in the Lord? Terry, put your hope in the Lord. Shirley, Matt, Kurt, Judy, put your hope in the Lord. Perry, Adam, Tom, Nathan, put your hope in the Lord now and forevermore. Is that where your hope is found, John, Pam? Sharon, John, Troy, put your hope in the Lord. Dwayne, put your hope in the Lord. I know you do, Ruth. Put your hope in the Lord. Jean, Damien, Beverly, put your hope in the Lord. Is your hope built on nothing less Are you so excited about the hope of God that fills your life? Or have you concerned yourself with things that are just too great for you? Because humility is a choice that can bring quietness to your soul. God, I thank you for the truth of that. I praise you for the truth of that. I praise you, Lord, that that you have made it crystal clear that you have come into the world so that you can bring peace in the midst of storms. God, you know each one of us. 
And you know the degree to which we hold on to ourselves and our solutions and the degree to which we've been able to release that to you. You know the quietness of our soul. And you know the things that steal that quietness from us. Father God, I pray that you would touch each one of our hearts and our lives. As we listen to the beautiful words of this song, Jesus, that we could rest in you, that we could rest in the joy of what you are. Speak to us, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.